and welcome to Book Talk with Melissa Ajo. I'm your host, Melissa Ajo. <laughs> this is our very first podcast. I'm delighted to have you listening in. Today I'm talking to Susan Wakefield. Wakefield. <laughs> Susan Wakefield, and yes, I have known her for quite a while, and I should be able to pronounce that, but <laughs> Susan is currently a library assistant. Oh, library associate. Library associate. Okay, yeah. sorry about that. That's okay. All right, so Susan is a library associate, but she has been a librarian and done many other things in the library and publishing world. Mm-hmm. She currently works with children. Yes, I do. So she's got all sorts of good recommendations and book knowledge for us to to discuss today. <laughs> okay. So, did you come from a book family? Were your parents readers? Well, that was an interesting question because <laughs> um, I realized at some point later in my life that my mom read books all the time. Mm-hmm. I also realized that my grandmother, who was a school teacher, read. And I came to learn that my grandfather, her husband, who had an eighth grade education, actually enjoyed reading also. He was a rancher, real outdoorsy guy. Sure. Um, but I didn't know until later that he was a you know well-read person. Um, my father, um, he reads, but he doesn't necessarily read for pleasure. Sure. It's more for business. Oh, yeah. And um, growing up, my mother would read books to me, and my uh, paternal grandmother would read the funny pages to me, which got me kind of caught up on the comics mm-hmm. and um yeah so my sister reads a lot my brother reads a lot and for me I really didn't start reading until I had a Russian literature class in college really that late yep so you're not weren't one of those little kids that her nose buried in a book or no every time I went to the library as a kid the library scared the sh- <laughs> out of me really oh yeah and I here you ended up being a librarian I know so. Wow. I don't want to be a scary librarian. Okay. That's the deal. Yeah. All right. Scary librarian's not a good thing. No. No. (laughs) So if you weren't a a child reader, Mm -hmm. what was your earliest book that really grabbed you then? Oh, okay. Um, That hooked you on reading? Because usually it's like a book. I I find that people, they read one book and then that's just it. But until they hit that one book that turns them into a reader. Mm -hmm. Well, that wasn't until I was 21. Okay. So, um... I mean, I remember a couple books from my youth that were really popular or were really important to me. Sure. One of them was called Miss Susie. Okay. (laughs) Um, And I actually rent out and bought another copy of it because I'm pretty sure my mom sold it in a garage sale. Uh (laughs) Um, But it was Miss Susie by Miriam Young and illustrated by Arnold Lobel. Oh, okay. Yep, and it came out in the 60s, mm-hmm. and it's been republished uh, recently, and um, I really loved that story. She was a little gray squirrel who got harassed by the mean red squirrels and had to leave her home. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Um, and she met the brave toy soldiers who were locked up, and they ha- she helped them, and they helped her get her house back. Uh-huh. Um, and the other book was the, co- the Cookie Tree. The Cookie Tree, okay. Was that like a Christmas sort of themed book? Nope. Nope, it's um kind of a supernatural blessing type book. The author is Jay Williams, and it was illustrated by Blake Hampton in 1967. Okay. And suddenly this tree appears in the, I believe it's the town square, and it has these big, gorgeous, golden leaves, and under each leaf is a cookie. Oh, hey, nice. And the town people are like, why is this here? And the kids are like, 
this is great. Oh, yeah. Who wouldn't want a tree that has cookies? Hello. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'd yeah. like my chocolate, please. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so those were the two kind of iconic books for me as a kid mm -hmm. and then um from there on i was really a comic okay kind of reader sure i started drawing my mother started me drawing like when i was about two so i have these little booklets that she made and she would draw and write a word and i would draw and write a word mm -hmm. and repeat it so drawing for me was much more important okay it was the visual aspect yeah it was the visual plus the actual having something physical afterwards. So, and then that, I think, so I did, um, you know, growing up, I didn't hate books. Uh -huh. I just had a lack of interest. Sure. Um, and drawing for me was like a daily event. It was like a cathartic. I had to do it. There was no, you know, a day without drawing is like a day without sunshine. That would be a very bad thing. <laughs> yeah. So drawing and hanging out outside. And for me... I had value at the end. I had a, something I produced. Mm -hmm. I had a drawing. I could share it. I could give it to someone where I thought, well, I read a book. There's no end product. Very true. I've just wasted all that time. But that's because I didn't understand how books can be springboards for additional conversation and creativity. I was I didn't understand that at the age. And um, I was just so sure life was too short to be reading. <laughs> Too many other important things to do. and Right. Okay. Right. So then when you got to college, it was the Russian literature that hooked you. Was there a certain one? You know, a certain Russian, a certain Anna Karenina, or... Right. Um, well, it Russian was, poets. It was, it was um, Russian literature, and it was for one month, okay. all of January, and which I really loved. That's all you had to do was read what he assigned. And it's going to sound really stupid, but it was War and Peace. Really? Did you get through the whole thing? Yeah. Oh, wow. We had to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, it was a month. We met for class for maybe a couple hours and mm -hmm. then you were expected to go off and read for 10 hours and just read and just, and just read. come back and talk about it. So we, uh, did Tolstoy and we did, oh, I forgot some of the other authors. Um, but we did a number of the high point, you know, mm -hmm. male, they were male Russian sure. authors and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's only because of the professor who was able to really bring to light the subtleties in the writing. Sure. I mean, Russian literature is a little bit dense. <laughs> a little hard to get through, I've, I've found, personally. Well, he made it exciting because we came together and we talked about it. And that was my first experience of talking about books. I mean, okay. sure. The engagement, the yep. excitement, the interest. Yeah. And I was never into the teenage uh, bodice-ripping books. <laughs> And, you know, I knew girls who were, and they'd read those and talk about them. And I was like, I have no interest in, in doing any of that. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> no. Get, keep it away from me. Sure. <laughs> yeah. After you hit the Russians, then did that expand your, your reading world or... Yeah, it really did. Um, I took another literature class mm -hmm. um, with... Um, covering C.S. Lewis, and it was um, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia and uh, creativity in Christianity and Judaism. Mm -hmm. So that was a fabulous class, and we had to write our own literature um, pieces using different subtexts. So um, we had to be very creative with it. Okay. So writing, it sounds for you, reading, mm -hmm. I should say, for you has always gone hand in hand with a physical aspect, either creating a, a story or writing a paper or doing a drawing or something. Mm. It's kind of used, you know, both both sides of the brain. And yeah, would you think? Would you say? Yeah, um, I think that there's kind of a cacophony 
of creativity that defines us as a person and it's different levels based on our interests. So um, I grew up playing instruments. Um, sure. I played the piano, the flute, um, the bassoon, the saxophone, um, and all of those pieces became part of my, my life, my identity. And the drawing did, being outside, in nature did. Um, all of these things kind of, uh, it's like kind of the circle of yourself and you're merging mm -hmm. around in different areas. Um, so as an adult now, have you branched out in other areas? Do you still need that physical drawing aspect to go hand in hand with mm -hmm. the reading? Um, well, unfortunately, um, I was working on my MFA in uh, Intellio printmaking and while I was working at the University of Minnesota Press. Mm -hmm. And then I was also working on my MBA in marketing at the same time. Um, and my... Like those two fields are totally not related. But, <laughs> well, you see, I, I, ironically, it's basically what I did at the university. Um, I was at Hamlin University and I took business courses. Okay. And then I took studio arts courses. Okay. Um, I was the apprentice for the Intaglio printmaking studio mm -hmm. and taught the intro classes. But then I was also a TA for econometrics, uh, micro macro economics. I did, you know, scored papers and stuff like that. So for me, it was really using both sides of my brain. Mm -hmm. When I was tired with the creative side, I could go over to the business side, the mathematical side. I see the math, the math, the patterns, and art combine also like a music score okay. and the instruments in an orchestra or a band, um, all these things come together and um, create something bigger than themselves. So, um, so now that you're working in a public library, yep. working with children, mm -hmm. kids of all ages, do you feel that your reading interests have expanded with all these younger titles and the world of what young adult reading, mm -hmm. young adult books? Well, what I've found is that there are some very, very good young adult children's and children writers. And um, these books should not just be relegated to children or to fourth or fifth graders or to teenagers. I think that um, adults would have a very enriching experience by reading these books mm -hmm. because they are so well put together, well written. Um, it's my belief that some of the adult fiction gets a bit sloppy uh, for Formalic, formalic, formula, <laughs> formula, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it loses some of the crispness mm -hmm. that we hold in a book that brings something new to us. Um, publishing has changed. I mean, it's totally different. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, when I was in publishing, we still had um, we still had editorial people who worked closely with the author. We wrote, you know, those were the days where the author put down the ideas and the editor, they really helped that writer compose the final product. Now, anyone can publish. And as a democracy, that's great. Mm -hmm. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there is not a reader for every book today. There is a book for every reader, uh -huh. but not a reader for every book. <laughs> I believe this is true because, one, as I mentioned before, anyone can publish. Mm -hmm. um, before, there would be editorial reviews. You would have um, a marketing evaluation. You would have constructive critiques, fact-checking, grammar. Um, there'd be peer or professional opinions weighed on. Um, to determine if a project should be taken on. Um, not that they're necessary for a wonderful book, but 
with the development of the internet and social media access to much cheaper processing you can make books galore if you want mm -hmm. um it's just like everyone everyone has one so do you think books nowadays in general don't have that extra polish that extra shine that they probably might have had you know 20 30 years ago i think there's more than there were mm -hmm. yes i think that when you find that rare book that really pulls it all together you know you found a gem sure um the ones where you're going oh my god where was the editor on this and why did they not catch that he said this in chapter two as well as chapter four and chapter seven <laughs> the same thing you know is this really a point that needs to be hit over the head i don't think so we got it the first time so um you know a good copy editor a good editorial editor they are essential to um the collaborative effort of a beautiful book so certainly worth their weight in gold that yes. writers should be investing in before they release their, you know, great American novel. Right. But yeah. the publishing industry's changed. Mm -hmm. You know, that used to be an on-staff position. Um, I think some publishing houses now ask the authors to get their own um, copy editors um, before they bring the book in. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I think that has happened. Um, and just because you can be published does not mean anyone beyond you are interested in the topic. Um, <laughs> it's not even your mother. <laughs> right. And well, possibly your family and friends might be curious just out of curiosity and uh, pity. <laughs> the pity purchase. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so, no, I believe that there is a book for every reader. Mm -hmm. I thoroughly believe that, and I do that every day in the library. Okay. I tell uh, children who are coming in and trying to find a new series. They just finished all of the different series. Mm -hmm. They want to find a new series or new author, and I tell them, "Okay, here are some books." Um, you can check out up to 50. Don't have to, but I would suggest pick up a few that look great to you. Check them out. Take them home. Relax. Have a hot cocoa if you like. <laughs> and read the first two pages. And if it doesn't grab you, life's too short. Very true. Put it aside <laughs> and look at the next one. Because maybe five years down the road, you're going to find that book again. And it'll be perfect. But you need to find what's right for you at this moment. At the right time. Yes. The right book for the right, right person time. at the right time. <laughs> yes. So what... Are you recommending these days? Mm. What's popular in the library right now oh. for kids? For kids? Or yeah, what mm. what are people sort of veering towards right now? Or or is there one book that you're like, oh, you need to read this. This is wonderful. You're gonna love this. Oh, there is. Uh huh. Crossover by Mommy Alexander. Okay. Crossover is I would say the book I've been carrying in my heart for since I read it. Um, so it's been probably a little over a year. Um, really that long? It stayed with you. It must have. Mm -hmm. It is prose. It's told in prose. Um, it's a family, uh, twin brothers and their father's their basketball coach and, uh, their experience one year in school and what they go through as a family. And, um, I actually have a quote from the father coach. Oh, okay. Um, written out on my desk at home. Wow. Um, I think crossover is it's a it's a necessity to read. Um, and what age group would you say this book is good for? Uh huh. Uh, the characters are in high school. Okay. And one of them uh, starts having a girlfriend. 
So kids usually want to read about two or three years ahead of them, mm -hmm. grade-wise or age-wise. Okay. And this is also going to depend upon the parent and what they think is appropriate for children. Okay. okay. My mom, in 1968, took a picture book about sex and put it on the bookshelf. <laughs> okay. Okay. My mom had uh, all the hair, uh, three of the Henry Miller uh, books on the bookshelf. And I think I was about 12 when I read Tropic of Cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Your mom was very cool. <laughs> very progressive in her reading and letting letting her children read. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I loved uh, Lady of Ch Lady Chatterley's Lover when I was like, you know, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was pretty cool. I'm like, wow. Wow, sure. <laughs> yeah. This is a lot better than what Ava's weirding down yeah. the street. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so, you know, it... It gets complicated because parents want to protect their children. And I think they f we forget as we become adults how in touch children are with the reality around them. That they may not be able to express what's going on with words, mm -hmm. but they know if they are in a dangerous situation or if there's someone they can't trust or any other thing. They pick these things up and they can perceive them regardless of if they can express it in a concrete way. And I think that's a another reason why like the boxcar children have always been have been popular for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Four kids on their own. Yeah. Parents are dead. They don't want to go to the social services. They're gonna like hide out in boxcars. Yeah. Who else wants to do that? I mean everyone. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a good children's story always seems to have someone's the child. Dead. Someone's dead. The hero or heroine is, is an orphan yeah. or has a parent that's not available, either, you know, mentally right. or physically. And so they're left alone to have this adventure or. Right. Right. Uh -huh. um, you, you remind me of Neil Gaiman's Coraline. Yes. Uh, where the parents are too preoccupied with their, their own uh, occupations. And she searches out for. The Look. mother. Wasn't it the mother? Well, she's looking for a <laughs> yeah. family. She mm -hmm. wants a family. And she goes through this magical door and there is a family. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not, they're an evil family. <laughs> um, <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but they give her the attention that she doesn't get from her parents. And, um, you know, I think that's, again, Neil Gaiman's just fantastic. So um, all of his books have learning experiences in them for adults and children. Oh, definitely. So other ones that I recommend, um, one book I recommend is The Big Necessity, The Unmentionable World of Human Waste and Why It Matters. <laughs> okay. That sounds very nonfiction-y. Oh, it's, it's, it's a nonfiction book. Okay. Um, and the author's British right now. But she looks at the fact that we can't have clean water until we start dealing with how we deal with waste products. Because okay. if we do not keep the waste away from the water sources, we're just contaminating the water and we're not dealing with the underground issue, the underlying issue. It was a wonderful book. So is this kid appropriate? No. Okay, so this all. is for adults. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all over with it. It's okay, like, sure. Yeah, you know, I can tell someone, you know, like, little kids, you can go have this one. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I can tell someone, well, you know, go read Knut Hampson. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the authors I get stuck on. Like, you're, you know, do you get obsessed about something? Yeah. Like, uh, this would have been in the early 90s, I think. I just got on a Knut Hampson. So uh, what would be a, a perfect title? 
<laughs> um, I'm trying to think of, well, Victoria was one, but there's other ones. I, I went through his English translations at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't come up with something besides Victoria right now. But um, another teen one that came out recently, We Were Liars. Um, I like that by E. Lockhart. Oh, and The Girl Who Drank the Moon. I've seen that one around. Yes, yes. And so it's been getting really good reviews. Yes, it's very well put together. Okay. It is a beautifully complex, well put together book. Because you have got Sleeping Beauty. You have all those Disney adaptations of Grimm and others Mm -hmm. um, making them cheerier than they were. But bad things happen. Yeah, they do. You know, (laughs) um, it's more reality in those. And um, you had witches. You had devils. You had all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And we all grew up. Yeah. Everybody survived. Yeah. 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 So... So are there any books that you're looking forward to reading in 2017? Anything that's yeah. coming out? Anything new? Personally, I'm hoping for a new George R.R. R. Martin book in 2017 or 2018. Okay. Um, well, I write lists all the time. Okay. Okay. You're there's, a lister. Yep. There's way too many books that are being published, and I know I'm never going to read them all. So I like to keep lists of new and recommended titles. Mm-hmm. There are certain reviewers that I um, used to go and visit when I was in publishing, and I highly recommend or highly regard their reviews mm-hmm. and their reviewers. And so I'll typically look for those or other um, book award winners. Okay, sure. Specifics. Uh, uh, and then kind of culminate list and then start to narrow them down by that. Um, talking with a friend who was in publishing, you know, the cover, the cover can totally sell a book. Oh yeah. Um, and he and I were talking about how, um, he, he worked in a bookstore at that time and he went in and he walked by this one book, had no interest in it at all. None. Topic, none. (laughs) But the cover, he could not get away from the cover. He ended up buying the book. Just because of the cover. Just because of the cover. (laughs) I don't know if he ever read the book or not. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's all so, about the cover. It's all about the cell. Yeah. I'm hoping to read Lab Girl in 2017. Okay. Um, by Hope. I think it's Jen- Jenner. Um, there are a number of other books that I am hoping to get to. And there's so many that I still want to go back. Um, I like going back and exploring Pulitzer Prize winners. Mm-hmm. Again, like Knut Hampson was Nobel Prize. You know, you get caught in an author, you want to read all of them. I think I did that with Florida author who wrote 10,000 Islands, Randy Wainwright, when we were in Florida. Mm-hmm. And we went to the Everglades. Yes. Um, and I picked up in the airport a Randy Wainwright book about the 10,000 Islands where he includes, um, it's a historical fiction book, basically. And it was so engaging. And so I followed a lot of his books. Um, and... For the most part, I like most of them. Some of them, there's a periods where, you know, they're not what I wanted to read at that time. But I do love his books and his characters. As you mentioned earlier to me before we started this, um, mm-hmm. Bill, um, no, um, Hayson. Carl. Carl. Carl Hayson. Yes. Yes, he's another wonderful one who's done adult and crossed over to children's, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I just loved Hoot. Oh, right. Yeah. That was so cute with the little owls and, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
I, lo I love both the adult and the children's series on those. Um, the environmental issues being part of a com comical... Your to-be-read list expands and spans as the... <laughs> oh, I've got lists. I've got pieces of paper and lists all over. Uh -huh. And gradually, I bring them together, and I try to put their lists together. And what I'll do is then I will go out and look at reviews, and... I'll remind myself of the topic because sometimes, you know, you don't get enough information in the title and author and mm -hmm. it's been a while. <laughs> and, um, but I, for me particularly, I like South, South Pacific books. Okay. Um, I like travel memoirs. Um, also some nonfiction, um, or no, fictionalized books about Tibet, um, that were a few years ago coming out. And, um, I used to run a book club. And that was fun because I like to get international authors to expose um, the club members to exceptional international writers and to get them to um, see things a little different. Um, one of the books was about Tibet. Do you remember the title? Uh, I have it somewhere. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I can find it. For listeners, Susan is... Stealthily paging through her, yeah, <laughs> her notes. Yeah, that's not a good thing to do. Um, but I, yeah, so many titles in the brain, it's just hard to. It is, I, and I'm not good at keeping them. The reason I keep a written record is because I need to be reminded, mm -hmm. and it essentially helps me because I cherish these moments with the books. Mm -hmm. I. My mindset towards books has totally turned around ever since that Russian literature class. Uh -huh. um, and then after that, um, the C.S. Lewis class, and then I started teaching myself Farsi, how to read and write Farsi, and just kind of kept going on and, you know, trying to learn Russian and, and um, just trying to expand um, my worldview. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, so do you have a set number of books that you try to read every year? For example, I try to read 100 books. Some years yeah. I don't make it. Okay. Other years I do, or I just squeak in really close. This year I want to count. Okay. I haven't counted before, um, but this year I really want to see how many I can get in. And I don't want to read just to read. I want mm -hmm. to read because it's a. I find it a good book. A zombie apocalypse has just happened. Yes! <laughs> it's a zombie apocalypse yes. question! <laughs> I was so glad there was one. <laughs> okay, the zombie apocalypse has happened. You're allowed to grab one book as you head out. I thought to... I got two. Do you get two? Okay, so you can have two. Mm -hmm. Two zombie apocalypse books. What do you grab mm -hmm. to read forever? Because you only get two. Mm -hmm. So what okay. are you going to read forever? Can I insert here? You can. Okay, at the <laughs> library, I uh -huh. go from the children's area, children's library to the adult area. I drag my leg and put my arms out and moan. <laughs> I'm the library zombie. Library zombie, yeah, okay. I play the library zombie. <coughs> uh, my coworker Mark knows it quite well. Um, okay, I have my two titles picked out, and I think they're pretty groovy titles. Okay. So, I would take, just to make sure I want to get the right authors and everything for that, and I feel bad about the ones that I have forgot. Um, okay. Number one, mm -hmm. The Zombie Survival Guide, Complete Protection from the Living Dead by Max Brooks. Oh, everybody loves Max Brooks. Right. Yep. So, okay. So I want to know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. But then 
I want the SAS Survival Handbook. The Ultimate Guide to Surviving Anywhere by John Lofty Weissman. <laughs> and this outside magazine said, don't leave home without it. And I trust outside magazine. <laughs> so if I'm going to have to leave home, which I will have to because the zombies will break in. Yes, they will. Um, I, those are the two books I'm going with. Really? See, I figured you'd pick two fun fiction books that you could just keep reading and reading forever until the end of time. And you pick two ones that are going to help you survive. So those no. are very good picks. You know, I think if I got books that I really wanted to read, uh -huh. I would be so in focus in the book that the zombies would creep up on me and I'd be dead in minutes. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm hoping to li outlive the zombies mm -hmm. and then start a new publishing house. Excellent idea. Yeah, I always wanted to do that. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what else do we have? Well, I think we're running out of time. Okay. Unless there are any any great titles that you would recommend that you can think of, mm. think of at the top of your head. Ah, ah, h. Okay. I love Bill Bryson. Uh, in a sunburnt country about Australia. Mm-hmm. Yep. I read that before I went to Australia to live on a boat for three and a half months. Okay. And the person I was living on the boat was from New Zealand. And in New Zealand, nothing will kill you. Okay. Nice people. Mm -hmm. Nothing will kill you. Have a cup. Um, have a cup of tea. Have a, have a beer. You're uh -huh. all good. <laughs> in Australia... Everything will kill you there. Can I swear on this? <laughs> well, it's a podcast, so okay. maybe we'll edit that out. Okay. Everything <laughs> there will kill you. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. And so that's basically Bill Bryson is, is recording his travels to Australia. Mm -hmm. And how, um, you know, there's the jellyfish and there's the shark or the, yeah, sharks. And then there's the crocs and then there's the snakes and then there's the spiders and when I was there, it seemed like a lot of people, tourists and others, were, like, meeting their demise. Um, you know, there was a brown snake in the garage, and the British visitor just had to go get it. Oh, sure. Um, just pet the nice snake, right? Yeah. Or the guy fishing with the dog on his, on the dock, and the croc just took the dog, along with the leash. Um, oh, no. Poor Fluffy. Poor Fluffy. Um so I really love that book, and he's from Iowa. He lives in England now, but he has that Midwestern sensibility and sense of humor mm -hmm. so that when he goes with a group out to Ayers Rock and a woman in the group is standing next to him and goes, we drove all the way out here in this hot heat to look at this. <laughs> and he gently tries to educate her into the cultural significance. Her next... I believe she says is you're sunburned. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, uh -huh. but the book is lovely. Mm -hmm. It's lovely. Um, there's so many other books I would love to recommend, but we're out of time. We're out of time. Well, thank you so much, Susan, for being our first guest on Book Talk with Melissa. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Bye.